Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I'm excited about what we've been talking about. We're going to dive right back into our summer series uh, as we're kind of landing this summer plane called Summer in the Psalms. And last week, I really enjoyed as we looked at that shepherd psalm, probably, like I said, the most common psalm that is quoted, that lyrics are kind of taken from, uh, that you hear it at funerals, weddings, the like, like everything in between, you hear Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And we looked at how he is our shepherd and our host, but today we're going to kind of build on that. I've kind of got, I've got somewhere where I'm going with each of the Psalms that we pick. Even though they could stand alone, I really feel like the Lord has kind of shown us some key things that we're going to walk through. And so if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to that yet, that podcast will be up this week. Um, we had a little bit of confusion on where it was at in our um, OneDrive, and, and so it's not up there yet, but it will be there this week. I really encourage you, if you missed it, go back and listen. I, I think it was really, really sweet how the Lord was revealing himself as a shepherd and a guide uh, to each one of us in our lives. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I'm like, I really need someone to give me some clarity and direction because I am floundering. And um, I think today we're going to kind of build on that concept of what David, David again is the psalm we're going to be looking at. Um, but, but Psalm 23, uh, I just want to mention this. Scholars say that you really can't understand some of the psalms standing alone. Because they're written by sometimes the same author. You know, David, like we said last week, 75% of them were written by him. And some scholars believe that you can't understand Psalm 23 without understanding Psalm 22, which is the forsaken Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My enemy, you know, basically what Jesus quoted on the cross comes from that Psalm, Psalm 22. And you can't understand the, the, the fullness of, but the Lord is our shepherd, even through that valley of the shadow of death. And we have those that kind of ex express the extremes. Um, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning as we dive into Psalm 27. So if you have a Bible um, or if there's like something paper in front of you, just make me feel better and kind of rustle it a little bit so I feel like you're turning in a real book today. We're going to be diving into Psalm 27. What's going to be on the screen is going to be the New International Version. Uh, typically, I do like to preach out of the English uh, Standard Version, the ESV, but today I like the, the NIV translation a little bit better for this particular psalm. Would you pray with me just for a second before we get started? Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. God, I don't have to be a spiritual genius to realize that there are a multitude of things happening in, in the lives of people in this room. But I am a firm believer, Lord, that regardless of what is spoken today, that your Holy Spirit can minister and give them exactly what they need. So Lord, I'm asking, come, have your way. Take my words, make them yours. Let it be as the loaves and the fish divided and given to each as they have need for the nourishment of their soul today. We thank you that you meet us where we are, but you don't leave us here. You are a good God. Amen and amen. amen. All right. Somebody take another swig with me. I need a drink. All right. So Psalm 27 talks a little bit about that, kind of that tension of two worlds that I was hinting at. 
Because a lot of time we have psalms of construction, uh, ones that are building up and magnifying who the Lord is. You know, my God is great. Look at him in all his splendor. You know, he owns the, the cattle on a thousand. There's the ones that build up and esteem him for who he is, where nothing can touch you because of how awesome your God is. You've taken refuge in him. And then sometimes within the very same psalm, sometimes even within the very same verse, it's like, Woe is me, God has abandoned me, where are you? you know, and, and how many of you realize that the Psalms are very complicated? Now look at your neighbor and say, you know what, you kind of are too, you know, you're kind of complicated too. We are each very complicated. I would imagine that in this room, there's people that have experienced even recently some circumstances of, of grief and sorrow. I would even imagine that they, there are folks here that understand what it is to be betrayed, to be lied about, to be misunderstood. I would imagine that there are, are folks that you've got, you've got some enemies, so to speak, that are looking to collect and you're like, man, I left that life. I don't wanna have anything to do with those people, but yet they're not recognizing that. I can imagine that there are a number of different things going on in the hearts of everyone that is here. But I can also imagine that there are some dreams in this room that are way bigger than you could ever accomplish by yourself. And I would imagine that there is some hope of, of one day accomplishing and seeing that come to fruition. And I can imagine that, that there are some even, there's, some, there's, there's a little preparation. There's maybe even a season that you feel like, okay, I'm, I may be here, but I, I think this is where we're headed. And, and there's maybe even a little planning going into what's next. And I could even imagine that you maybe are both of those worlds at the same time. Because for me, that's oftentimes the way it works. Sometimes I feel like, man, there is heartache and loss and, and bitterness and I'm working on forgiveness. But at the same time, I'm looking at the Lord and the plans that he has for me and I have vision for the future and, and I believe that God has got me in a path that is leading there. And, but sometimes it's both of those worlds colliding, isn't it? And so we see that in the Psalms a lot. We see this, this world of construction and destruction literally almost in the same entity of who we are because as humans, we are very complex. And Psalm 27 really is kind of, um, kind of echoes that paradigm, that sometimes we see both of these worlds um, colliding together. So I'd like us to read it together. Let's read this, Psalm 27. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse two. When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Verse three. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. This is probably my favorite verse in this entire psalm. Psalm uh, verse four, 27, four. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Verse nine, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. 
Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then finally, verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Amen. You see a little bit of the complexities within this psalm of, of David wrestling with both of those worlds that we were just discussing. And you see in verse one, it talks about the Lord is what? He is my light in my salvation. Literally light often representing uh, everything that was positive about who God was, that he is truth, he is goodness, he is full of compassion and kindness, but his light literally articulating that there is nothing else that can enter into the, to the realm of who he is. There is no room for darkness. Now I'm reminded of, of what James writes in James 1, 17. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of people in and out of my life. I've had some things that shifted that I needed to shift. I've had other things that I'm like, man, I wish that had stayed the same. And, and this is one of the complexities of how we approach um, some of the things that, that we do in life, our ups and downs. You remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe uh, when we were in The Voice, I think it was, that, that series, uh, we were talking about how, you know, a lot of times we think that our highs will never last and our lows will last forever, right? We think that, I think I used the kind of the, the paradigm or the idea of being on a roller coaster, right? Oh, this is awesome. This is great. But we never have the fear that, oh my goodness, what if I never come down from this awesome high? What if things in life really don't ever stop going my way? We never, we never fear about that, right? Why would we? But we always think that in our darkest valleys, in our lowest moments, that we're going to be stuck there forever. And what we have to realize is, that, guess what? The ebbs, and fly, uh, the ebbs and flows of life, the highs and lows, they, they all are temporary. The highs as much as the lows, that it's all temporary. And the difference is, is that we have someone who is with us. We have someone who is faithful in those high moments to rejoice in the victory that he has brought about in our life. But we also have someone who is walking with us in those lows, who is faithful, who is constant, who is a, a, a good God, even when there seems to be confusion surrounding where we're at. And I believe that if we understand the temporal nature of, of everything that we experience, we'll understand that, you know what? this too shall pass. This too will be fleeting and, and will vanish in, like a vapor. But God's goodness, as we see it exemplified by the light in which he dwells, we see the byproducts of all his gifts in our life. I believe that every good and perfect gift comes from him and there's no room for anything else. He is always the same, never shifting. He is always faithful. His salvation is sure. Look, look at what 2 Samuel 22, verse 29 says. It says, you, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. So who could we possibly fear if he's the stronghold of our life? And yet there's so many things that we can easily fear. I, I was talking to Candy as we were driving um, the other day, and I was like, you know, rarely is fear rational. Rarely. I'm not going to say always, right? Because that would, that would be too exclusive. But rarely is it rational. It's usually something that we can't control, right? 
And, and our fear has to do with something that I can control. I need to have control of this. I need to know the outcomes. I need to know that what I'm doing will produce that, that there's no room for error here. Uh, and maybe some of you can relate to the way that I approach things like that because I really need to know that things are in control and there's no room for change or error. But the fears that we have are usually very irrational about how this could play out. We usually fear the worst case scenarios, right? Uh, rarely is it like, oh man, it, Again, we never fear that that mountaintop's gonna last forever. We always fear that the valley will be eternal. And yet, neither of those are true. The idea that the Lord is our light is that he is lighting our path regardless of where it goes. That he is with us. And that he is the stronghold of my life. You would rarely need a stronghold unless you were going through a trying time. You would rarely need a stronghold unless someone was coming against you. Why would we want to know the Lord is our stronghold unless there was a battle and a war that was very real? Because we know that there is a real enemy and it sometimes looks like me. It sometimes wears my own flesh and makes terrible decisions. And then there's another enemy that really likes to magnify those things. And we know that the enemy is after all the light that God is trying to produce in our, in our hearts. Psalm 56, four, he says this, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? David had really come to a conclusion on this. He's like, I'm gonna trust in God. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to where I think this was cultivated and what defined him to be able to have this confidence in the Lord. You know, last week as we looked at Psalm 23, I really said it was about the goodness of God. The goodness of God is a shepherd and a host. And today it's about his confidence, the confidence that we can place in the one who is faithful. Verse two, I love what David writes. He says, when the wicked advance against me. How many of you know it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, right? right? I mean, mama said there would be days like this, right? Even, even mama said. We, we all realize that there's going to be uh, bad people that will cross our paths, bad days that will find us. The difference is in, in, the, in the light of God's goodness, they pale, in the light of who he is, if we will gaze upon his beauty, we will see them shrink and diminish, even if the circumstances remain the same, because our perspective has shifted. And that's where we're headed in the psalm. I love that. He continues in this, in this verse right here. He says, verse three, though an army can camp against me, though an army and war come against me, it will not rock my foundation or my confidence in the rock of my salvation. It will not rock the one I am believing in. And I think that's so critical that sometimes, uh, I know Candy, even when we co-preached uh, the trauma-informed church last fall, she shared a little bit about kind of her testimony, her story of, of when her dad passed when she was a teenager and how she really wrestled with blaming God being angry against him. And I think so many times um, the enemy would love to give us opportunity to really say that something terrible happening in our life is his fault, right? To be able to shift that so that we can never walk in his light and his goodness. Now, I, I don't wanna diminish what you're walking through. I don't wanna diminish your past and, and the, the real pain that you walk through. That, that is a reality. I don't wanna say that doesn't exist. But what I do wanna say is that if we continue to live as victims in the shadows of what happened to us, we'll never experience the victory that he has for us. Amen? Amen. And so we have to decide when are we gonna allow our eyes to look to the hills from which our help comes from? When will we stop looking down at where everything seems to be in shambles? 
And I wanna give you process and journey to allow that to happen in your heart. As we sang in that song, I will prophesy your promise. I will, I will trust you in the process. That seems like a dirty word today in the church, right? That there is process. Just trust God. Give him time to work this in, in your spouse, in yourself, in your coworkers. But that is exactly the way it happens. It never happens like this. Rarely does it happen instantaneously. It is a journey of a lifetime where we're seeing the Lord sanctify our hearts, our desires, our ability to communicate. And so I'm reminded of what Paul writes in light of what David says here. I I think in Romans 8, and I'm gonna skim through some of these verses, I think Paul was thinking about what David was pinning in the Psalms when he wrote this chapter to the church in Rome. In Romans 8, I'm gonna start in verse 31 and quickly jump around going through verse 37. He says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up, what else is he gonna hold back? Nothing, he's gonna graciously give us all things. So who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who's the one that condemns? No one, Christ Jesus died. More than that, was raised to life and he's at the right hand of God and he's praying for us. So who shall separate us? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? And I think about Paul and all the things that he experienced And I think he's given like this long list of all the things that he himself had been through. He's like, and yet none of that, none of that has been able to keep me away from the love of God. For your sake, he says, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, but in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. And I love the idea that even though our enemies may try to destroy us, watch out for what God will do. Here's what David says in Psalm 27. He says, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. And this is a paradigm, a way of thinking that they had in the Old Testament that literally what the enemy planned for your harm, not only will God work it out for your good, but he will literally heap their terrible plans back on their own head. I mean, some of you are like, yeah, that's my kind of God. That's what I'm talking about. When, you know, when, they're, when ISIS is trying to do this, yeah, he's gonna do it to them. That's, yeah, get, get revenge. And we like that notion. We like that idea. But what it requires of us in the process is to simply wait and to trust. Now that side of the, of the coin, we're not so inclined to want to uh, accept Amen. because we wanna take it into our own hands, not trust someone who is greater than us. Because remember, if you're like me, we wanna control the outcome. And I'm trusting God but I need you to do it in my timing, God. I need you to do it my way. I need to make sure they pay. But he's saying, he will turn things on their own head. It is them who will stumble and fall. Exodus 14 kind of echoes what David's saying here. He says, then the angel of God, who has been traveling in front of Israel's army, he withdrew and went behind them. And we've talked about this when we encounter the Lord. The pillar of cloud, it moved from where it had been in front of them as their guiding light, right? Now it's standing behind them. In verse 20 of Exodus 14, it says, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel, throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side while it brought light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. And I love this idea that plays out in Judges and Kings and Samuel and throughout Ezekiel as well as the Psalms. The idea that the Lord's vengeance, he will turn it upon our enemies. And this is what I really want us to hear today is that not only what he meant for our harm will he turn into our good, but he will turn it into our own plan, to, to plans against them. 
And I think a lot of times um, we fail to see that God's gonna do this. And, and just a real small practical way this happened at camp. I wish Tara was here. We had a little girl, um, I say little, she's 12 and almost my height. Um, she lives in East Knoxville and, and we had picked her up. Um, currently she's staying um, right off of Magnolia and um, got a big family got a huge family. As a matter of fact, her mom was one of the first ones that ever came to Kiko Sunday School in Walter P. 25 years ago. And so now here she is. She's second generation and actually has an older sister who's already been with us too. Um, so it's really neat. We love this family. Love them. And uh, she's, she's really trying to let God work in her heart to not respond and handle things in anger the way that, that she wants to. Right? Can anybody else relate? I'm right there. And so she comes and she's like, Mr. Michael, there's these people from the Green family because we're blue this, this week at camp. We're the blue tribe. And she's like, they are messing with me. They're trying to push on my buttons. And uh, we saw it happening and they literally were antagonizing her, getting into her face and kind of talking trash. And I'm like, dude, if they know, she will not only start it, but she'll finish it. I know this girl. I know her family. Like they will handle themselves and walk away and just like, mm-hmm, now what? So there, were, there was this one little girl that was messing with her and I don't know much about her home life. She was from Lexington, Kentucky with a different group. Um, and that's probably part of the, the issue, George. She was from Kentucky, you know, just a lot of, <laughs> lot of trauma, a lot of issues in her heart she's still working through. But she was just another kid that probably came from a, a rough home life and just decided that she would, you know, take it out on everyone else around her, uh, a little bit smaller, uh, messing with Dejeuner. That was the girl that was with us. And no, she's not a mustard, even though I uh, kind of tease her about that. But Dejeuner, she walks away, and when she comes to us, she is white-knuckled fisting by her son. She's like, she comes to Miss Tara, and she's like, Miss Tara, you better go talk to these little kids because I'm about to do something that I don't, I'm going to regret. And, and we're like, okay, okay, sit down. We're going to talk with you. Let's go get a slushy. Let's kind of, let's diffuse this. Well, the kids didn't stop, right? The kids look for them at the pool, and now there's four. It went from one to four. And they're looking for ways to still antagonize them, seeing if leaders are watching, dunking them, holding them. I mean, like, and I'm like, what? When I heard about this, I was kind of ready to end it too. I was ready to handle these kids. And, and so I was like, Dejanay, you did the right thing. You walked away. You kept your distance. You didn't take things into your own hands. You did exactly what, you're the champion right now. We're, we're, you are the poster child of how to handle these situations. Dejanay, just don't let them get to you. We will handle it. Thank you for coming to us. But it was one thing after another. We get to the end of the week, right? And this is where I'm going with the whole story. And it's such a small way about how the Lord just likes to get the last laugh. Literally, the blue tribe and the green tribe are tied for who wins out of the eight families. And this is a huge you know, announcement before the whole camp and you absolutely win nothing at the end, but the kids think it's like the, you know, you won the Super Bowl. And so all the tribes are there. And what they don't know is that literally it's a tie. And I, I talked to the I talked to the kind of the executive staff. I was like, "So how'd you decide?" She said, "Well, we looked at the the leaders. We looked at the kids. We looked at who had been serving, who had gone out of their way, who had best attitudes." And she said, "You guys hand da hands down won it because of that." So I got to share with Dejanay. I said, "Listen, this is how God handles things. You know, we could have." tied, we could have lost, whatever, but God thought, you know what? I'm going to esteem, I'm going to esteem you and give you elevation because you chose to take the low road. And how many of you know it's the humble that receive his grace? It's the it's the prideful that are destroyed. And and then that small way I see a, a girl in middle school in East Knoxville handling something that us as adults struggle with daily. 
on trusting the Lord, controlling our emotions and our anger, taking captive thoughts that are just swirling all over the place and saying, God, I'm gonna let you handle it. I'm gonna trust someone bigger than me. I'm even gonna talk to those that are in control. I'm not going to take things into my own hands. And, and I hope that you and I, we can become better because we understand that's God's paradigm, that he wants to take care of things for us. And, and I, I, move, I move beyond that to the verse that I think is going to highlight it all, which is verse four. For me, this is again, the hallmark verse, the climax of this chapter, Psalm 27. Let's read it together. It says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I believe there was something incredible that marked David, that marked his life. And I believe that it, it dated all the way back to when he was on the hillside as a, as a teenager. I think that he was marked there as he developed a heart of worship for the Lord. I think something that, that happened there is the reason that we see uh, God exalt him, uh, crown him as, the, as king, uh, allow him to do some incredible things and even become a part of the lineage of Jesus because of what was cultivated on that hillside as a worshiper. And I believe this right here is what was already in seed form that he only had one thing that he desired. Only one thing, and that was that he would experience God and his goodness and his presence. And everything else that came out of his life was a byproduct of this, a byproduct of this right here. And I believe that David had tasted of God's goodness. I believe that he saw him in intimate detail. I believe that he had seen the Lord's faithfulness, not only in keeping his flock that he was watching over, he had seen right at the, at the hands of, of, a, of a lion and a bear. He had seen God do a miracle upon miracle in protecting and guiding him. And I believe that it was because he trusted the Lord. He had looked to the Lord and to the Lord only. This had marked him. And I think about my own life as a teenager. This is what marked me. It was a very similar scenario. I had no sheep and no shepherd's rod, but I feel like in worship, God marked me as a teenager. I feel like when I had encountered him and saw him for who he really was, that my life was riddled and never able to be the same. Have you ever experienced God in all his goodness and glory and you, you can't walk away and be the same? Maybe it was a process, maybe it was a journey. For me, I remember where I was at on January 3rd, 1997. I did not wanna be there. My parents drug me to Florida to go to this revival service. I'm like, can't we go to church in Knoxville, really? We gotta go to Florida and not go to the beach? But when I got there in this worship service, there was something that was put on me and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize that God was marking me in his presence in a phenomenal way. And I didn't even realize it until I got home and I was in my room by myself. And some of you, we never give the Lord that opportunity to really even show what he is doing inside of us because of how busy and constant we keep our schedules. We never allow the Lord to develop this, the seeds that have been planted, that he would be the one thing that we desire because we just keep going through the motions of what we've known. But if we would tuck ourselves away, maybe not on the hillside with a bunch of stinky sheep, but if we would find a place to say, God, I'm just gonna allow you to speak to me. I'm gonna put on some worship music instead of listening to the news on the way while I'm driving. I'm just gonna let you speak to me. My focus is gonna be on you and not hitting the car in front of me. That's gonna be it. And we begin to see that the Lord is marking us, that he's marking us. 
And I want to talk about basically Psalms 27.4 and how this plays out in the rest of our life. That's what I want to spend the remainder of this, this time together. If you want to read the rest of the psalm and, and dive a little bit deeper, feel free to. But I want to focus on this one thing, this one thing, because I think if we get this right, all the other things will take care of themselves if we realize that it is his kingdom and his kingdom first. So what does it look like to keep the main thing or the one thing central in three key areas? If you'll throw up that slide, I wanna talk about how it applies to our head, to our heart, and to our hands. I wanna talk about how it influences our thoughts and what we do through the filter of Psalm 27.4 for our head and then for our emotions and our relationships as we talk about our heart and then also how when it, it applies to our thoughts and our emotions, how it comes out in our lives and our work and what we do. Are you with me? All right, there's many ways I think that we see God's su supremacy, but it, it, for me, it's gonna be these three. And how many of you guys have, you know, you've heard me talk a little bit about our vision of encountering God right? Being forever changed and marked when we see him for who he is, which I believe is happening to David. And he's pinning that that is his story. And then as a result of that, he not only realizes those around him um, that have helped him along the way, he can show gratitude, he is connected, but his, the rest of his life is, an out, is a, a shoot that is growing, an outgrowth of, of this encounter that he had. And so the head I want to talk about as first importance our thoughts. I don't know about your life, but I know for me, most of my battles are between my ears. It is in the gray matter of my brain. It is in the thoughts that I battle daily of choosing to either think that about someone else, think that about myself, think that about a situation or a circumstance. It happens in my thoughts. And I think for most of us, it's the same. That the enemy, as well as the Lord, would like to take over our thoughts. And if we allow one to, to win over the other, we'll see it in the life that we live. So what do I mean? I, I mean that if we have the one thing over our thoughts, that if we say, God, I'm going, to, I'm going to allow you to have supremacy in what I think. And we say, God, allow every thought to be filtered through you. Let it be father filtered. And I think about how Paul in Philippians chapter four kind of gives us a little bit of a paradigm on, on what to do with our thoughts. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. He says, I'll say it again, choose joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, give it to the Lord. And when you do that, you're gonna see peace that you couldn't ever come up with. It's not gonna make sense. People are gonna think that it doesn't apply to the circumstance and situation. It literally should not be happening in that context that you're walking through. It, it will be a peace that transcends everyone's understanding because it'll be from God. And it will literally guard your heart and your mind in Christ. And then he tells us where to put our thoughts. I love verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, he says, whatever is what? True, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. He said, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Easier said than done, right? Amen. To give our thoughts completely to thinking about, okay, only things that are, that are true. 
gosh, I'm not going to entertain even fake news about myself, right? I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. I'm not going to even, I'm not going to let these things uh, infiltrate my mind and work their way into my emotions. He says, take what is true, only what is noble, what is right, pure, lovely, and admirable. And some of you wives need to squeeze your husband's hands and say, sounds like you're going to be thinking about me all day, right? Right? <laughs> And I love what Paul says here when he says rejoice and he gives it as a command. He says rejoice, literally joy for me, it's the experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation. The experience of deliverance and the anticipation of salvation. And he says it as a command. He says to rejoice in the Lord. And how many of you realize that joy has more to do with the state of mind and less to do with your circumstances, right? You can walk through the same situation and one of them it not affect you and the other one it completely wrecks your life, right? It ruins your day and then some. You ruin everyone else's because you're not walking in that peace. You've not chosen, I'm going to celebrate in what you are doing, God, despite what I wish was happening. That, that's a choice. That is a choice that we choose how we're going to view what the Lord is walking through with us. And so we can choose to say, God, I'm going to allow this to be a state of my mind rather than dictated by my circumstances. And when we seek first his kingdom, we're seeking to align our thoughts with heaven's paradigms, thoughts that are filled with that litmus test that Paul just gave us. And when Paul writes to the Corinthians, and this is what I really like about, he kind of puts some emotion behind how we deal with those thoughts. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, he says, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That verse to me is aggressive. It is very passionate. And sometimes we allow thoughts in our lives to just kind of bulldoze over us. And we think, oh, woe is me. Take ownership of what you're entertaining up here. That's what Paul is saying. Demolish them. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 tells us. So set your mind on things above is what Paul says right there in Colossians 3. This is your responsibility and obligation to choose what you're gonna dwell your thoughts on. If you wanna live in victory, then think thoughts that are coming from our victor. If you wanna continue to be the victim, then allow the enemy in your flesh to keep feeding you those lies and we'll succumb to it. But I'm telling you, the Lord has given you everything you need to live this life in godliness. That's what Peter tells us. So I have no doubt that all of us have the spirit of God, that if you have given your life to the Lord, that he is with you and that he will give you strength. He will never allow you to walk through more than you can handle. And I think sometimes we don't flip this and say, he will also not give you more than you can steward. Okay, so we see that work in two ways in our lives that the Lord will allow us to steward our thoughts and to not be passed through a time of, of, of suffering and temptation and turmoil and in our minds, we can demolish strongholds. You have the authority of the Holy Spirit to demolish thoughts and to be creative as you fix them upon the one. This one thing I ask, Lord, that I would seek you and your kingdom your righteousness, your ways, not mine. And all the other stuff will take care of itself. Everything else down here, below the 30,000 view, it will take care of itself. What can we do by worrying? And then the heart, let's talk about the heart. How does Psalm 27.4 apply to the principles that affect our heart? 
And this is where I want us to dive into our emotions and the relationships we have in light of the beauty of the Lord. This becomes a little bit trickier. Because for me, when I think about taking, th- uh, taking captive the thoughts that I have, there's only one person involved in that, and that's me, right. right? I can't dictate what you think. I can't even dictate what you choose to do or the outcomes that, that, are, that trickle around all those choices you make. But now we're talking about the heart, and this involves how I'm going to respond to everyone else and everything else that is happening. And for me, I've really been challenged this past year. I don't know, maybe I've told some of you, maybe not all of you. Um, I really hit a ceiling last January and, and I had to reach out and go see a therapist. I had to go see a Christian counselor because I just was a mess. And when I got there, I was like, man, I don't want to deal with any of that family of origin crap. I don't want to hear any of that garbage. I just want someone to tell me, what do I need to do? Walk out of here, do it, done, let's move on. Anybody else? Maybe that's just me. It's like, doesn't have anything to do with my family. Apparently it does, all right? (laughs) And so I've been on this journey of trying to understand emotional intelligence spiritually. And I think for many years, I've thought that I could be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. And those are very tightly connected. And what I mean by that is how we allow the things in our heart to be filtered through the Lord's lens. And I think that a lot of times God's gonna use people in my life to rub off those edges. As a matter of fact, almost always will he use other people in my life. My spouse obviously being closest to me, using the, the, just the patience that she has with me. But for, for me, when I think about how the Lord wants to make the one thing supreme in my heart, I think about two different ways that I approach healthy emotions and relationships. I think about how sometimes I don't wanna have communication at all. And maybe you'll identify with this. The problem is, is that when we don't want to have communication at all, we think that everyone else needs to change, which leaves no room for growth right here, right? But I don't want to talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. We just need to do it this way. We need to keep on trucking. Does anybody else relate? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know, I know many of you are like, yeah, that sounds great to me. Why would that be wrong ever, right? Because then I can control the outcomes. That sounds good. Sounds like it's going to go according to plan. The problem is, is that when we default to not having communication at all, we, we go ahead and create that wall around emotional maturity getting beyond just ourselves. And God will only allow us to go so far when we're not in connection with one another. It talks about this in Ephesians 4, that he created, first of all, those that would lead and guide us to fulfill all things that the Lord has prepared you for. He's given pastors, teachers, evangelists, but then it is in connection with one another that we carry out the plans that he has for us. Very rarely do you ever see those carried out as a lone ranger. And very rarely will you ever develop and, and work through the things that God is trying to sanctify alone. He will almost always use someone else in your life, whether you like it or not. And so when we say, no, it needs to be just this way, we go ahead and close off the opportunity for us to be challenged, for us to ever learn healthy compromise and to ever grow into good maturity emotionally. The heart, we're talking about applying this one thing to the heart. And I think the other thing, the other, the flip side is that no communication is rushed rushed communication. We need to get it all out on the table. We need to talk about it right now, right? This is me in the relationship with my wife. My wife, when we first started dating, she didn't have an opinion. She didn't have an idea of what she wanted to do. Some of you guys are like, that sounds like great, great spouse. That's what I need. But for me, I wanted it to be mutual. I wanted to do things that she wanted to do. 
Even if it meant going to Young Williams Animal Clinic every Saturday, you know? Even if it meant that she loved puppies and coffee and, and whatever else is frilly and babies now. I tell her that that's her hobby. You can mention that. But for me, sometimes I would rush that communication. I would try to drag more things out of her than, than she was really ready to communicate. And I realized quickly that I've got to slow down and allow this to be a journey that we walk through together. So here we are 13 years deep, 13 and a half years uh, into our, our marriage of, of 80 years. And, and I realized that, you know what, the things that we fought about in year one are still the same topics we talk about in year 13. It's the same issues. We just are more mature about how we handle it, hopefully. We are more uh, deferring and hopefully we show preference to one another and we serve one another better. And research even shows, and we'll talk about this in our relationship tune-up, that roughly 60 to 75% of the, of the things that you will eh, fight, if you want to say it, or just heatedly discuss as a couple, they'll be the same things throughout your marriage. It'll be the same things. Because you're, you're different. You brought different cultures into this. You're different individuals. You have different temperaments, different wiring. To me, that brings a lot of peace in knowing, oh, okay, <laughs> We're going to keep going around this mountain, aren't we, huh? <laughs> and I realized the Lord's going to use me in her life, and she's going to use her, God's going to use her in my life, if I'll allow him to. And so if I rush it, I will shortcut the process that God wants me to walk in relationship with her, because he's walking the same way with me. He's not, he's not rushing things along. He's, he's approaching me as I'm able to handle it. He's approaching me as, as it's the right time and season to kind of deal with some things in my heart. How many of you realize that if the gospel ever fully exposed everything in our heart, it would devastate us? But we spend the rest of our life letting the good news of what Jesus did, we can't, work out in our relationships, in our finances, in what we do with our time, our energy, how we raise our kids, our, our work ethic, whatever. The gospel works its way out into every other avenue of our lives the rest of our life. And so he, he, he's in this uh, for the long haul. He's in a journey with us. And I think about what Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter two. He said, if you've received any encouragement, if you're truly united with Christ, if you're comforted from his love, if you have anything common from sharing in the spirit, tenderness, compassion, make my joy complete by being the same way. <laughs> Just have that same love, be one in spirit and mind. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. This is really difficult. And Paul says in verse four, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. And what is he talking about? Well, in verse five, he tells us, in your relationships with one another. He's talking about in our relationships, how we approach each other, how we defer to one another have the same mindset as Christ, who literally in, this, in the verses following that talk about how he was God. Yes, he had every supreme right to, to demand and to dictate, but yet it says he did not use that to his, his advantage. Men, I hope you hear this. In the home, submission looks like servanthood. Jesus did not come with a sword. He came with a towel. And he showed us as men the model to live out in our homes to serve and to love the bride as he has loved us. And I hope that we, we can grow in that, that we can literally empty ourselves of all the things that we think were to our credit. Because oftentimes for me, I'm a doer, I'm a fixer, I wanna get things done, I wanna do that, and I approach my relationship the, sh the same way. 
when really most things are just, just walk through it. Just be present. There's nothing to fix. It's just a matter of being. And that's the way I think the Lord oftentimes is with us. He's like, I'm with you. I'm in the, I'm in the business of making all things new. Just journey with me. Amen. Just journey with me. Amen? As we're landing this plane, I want to land it with how we approach our hands. And so again, 27.4 of this psalm, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon his, his beauty, to inquire of him in the temple. And when we have our thoughts and our emotions regulated before the Lord, then it plays out in every other area of our life. I believe we see it in our work ethic. I mean, how many of you, you've seen it to where you're like, you know what? Gosh, I want that promotion, but I sure don't want to learn patience. Man, I want, I want the next step, but you're kicking and screaming each step of the way right now. You want, we want financial increase, but we're not willing to be faithful and to learn faithfulness. And God is saying, just let, let your thoughts be renewed according to my word and let it trickle into how you feel and think and act in your relationships and let it affect the way you approach what you do, your hands. God's not only not going to give us more than we can handle in regards to temptation, I said this earlier, but he also won't give us more than we can steward in regards to his blessings. I want to say that again, because I think this is really powerful. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. And typically we apply that to temptation because that's what Paul's talking about. But he will, not, he will also not give us more than we can steward when we're talking about his blessings. And when we put our hands to things, God's favor is going to be with us. And I think sometimes I have outworked the favor that I really have earned because God's just good. But at the same time, those things don't end up being entrusted to me for very long because I've not matured enough to be a good steward of what he's given me with my time and my work. But God will also not give us more than we can steward. Paul tells us in our compromise to be found faithful with preferring our brother and sister. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Paul is literally talking about preferring others in this passage. Whether you eat that meat sacrifice to idol, whether you do something that may offend your brother or your sister, whatever you do, let it bring glory to God. Don't let it cause anyone around you to stumble. Don't do something that would cause them to weakness. But everything we put our hands to, let it be in preference. You know, the more responsibility I feel like God gives me, the fewer liberties I ever really have. And I think that's the way it plays out at your work, in your family, in your house. The more responsibility you have, the fewer liberties you will have as well. Because God is calling you to not only live up to your own standards, but to not cause anyone else to stumble in the way that they view Christ and Christ in you. Maybe I'll have time to unpack that more later. There's a whole thought behind that. Everything else will work itself out. And Bruce, if you'd come up for a minute, I just want us to close with this thought. Psalm 27, 13 and 14, he ends like this. He says, I remain confident of this. I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord. I'm gonna see God's, God's goodness. If I'll just wait for him, if I'll be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So David is ending this psalm that his goodness I'm gonna see. You remember last week, what was it that was chasing us down? His goodness and mercy. 
it will follow us all the days of our lives. Regardless if our cup is overflowing or if we're in the the valley of the shadow of death, we will end up seeing his goodness and mercy following us. And here David is ending very similarly. He's saying, I will, I'm confident. I believe that I will see his goodness in the land of the living. I've gazed upon him in the temple, but I'm gonna see his goodness everywhere. Not only in his house, but everywhere else I go. I will see his goodness. It will follow me. It will chase me. It will be the ripple of everything that I put my thoughts, my heart, my emotions, my hands to. I will see his goodness. I will see his goodness because there's only been one thing in my life that I would see the Lord, that I would gaze upon his beauty, and that everything else in my life would be filtered through that. Seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. This and this only do I ask. Would you pray with me? and close your eyes, please. The psalmist would write that, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may dwell in his holy place? He would write in other chapters that he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, you're the one who descends from on high. You rip the heavens and you dwell with us. And I want our hearts cry to be better as one day. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand elsewhere. There's so many loves and affections that distract us, Lord. But in this life, we're asking that this one thing would captivate us. That you would literally arrest us with your love in this place today. Awaken our hearts where they have become numb and asleep. Lord, would you awaken love again within us. That we would gaze upon your beauty again. That we would be captivated by who you are. And everything else in this life would grow sadly dead.